Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. The Word of God speaks to us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. This is God's word to us. Amen. All right, you guys have a seat. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, if uh, we have not had the chance to meet, uh, or if you're new to the church, my name is Brandon. I get to serve as one of the pastors here uh, at the church. Uh, I get to serve as our community pastor. And uh, if, uh, if you're just jumping in or if you've slept since last Sunday, uh, let me just catch you up with where we're at. We're, we're doing this, uh, this series called Rhythms of Grace. And, uh, and as we kind of walk through that, what we're doing is we're looking at these uh, habits of formation, these spiritual practices that for the last 2,000 years, Christians have taken up ever since the, the resurrection of Jesus to say, hey, we want to walk in the way of Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like to really be formed into his image, uh, there are some, some practices that we want to have in our lives that are going to form us and shape us. And, uh, and so today, uh, we are looking at the spiritual practice of community. And I know some of you are like, oh, real original, the community guy is going to talk about community. And if that's your attitude, then I'll see you outside. Not to fight, just to be a part of Group Connect, because that's happening, and I would love to see you there. So, um, yeah, we'll do that. And uh, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to uh, John 17. And uh, we're going we're gonna to camp out here. This is the text that we just, uh, just read. Um, listen, I, uh, I promised myself a long time ago that I was never going to get up here and tell you guys a story about taking my bike out and finding some trail and riding hundreds of miles in the fresh air. And uh, that's a promise that I intend to keep because I have a stationary bike and uh, it doesn't go outside. I don't think it could. It has one wheel. Um, so pretty useless outdoors. Um, but what I do have is this really fancy app that goes with the bike. And that is cool. Like if you have a regular bike, you probably don't have that. But I do. And uh, what's really great about this bike is that it, uh, it has all of these like trainers and all of these programs and everything like that. And I'm regularly reminded that it is not just me. I'm not the only one on this bike right now. I'm not the only one exercising. I am a part of a global community. And that's a big deal, right? Like this is something they remind me of frequently, that I'm a part of a global community. There are thousands of people all over the world who are sweating it out just like me, and we're, we're getting it. We're doing it. Um, what's more is I've actually had like the instructor on the screen tell me things like, hey, in this community, you are 
known and you are loved. You are, right, like you are, you have the support of this community and even go as far as to say, hey, if you were ever to fall, uh, there's this community there that, that's going to be there to catch you if you should fall. Now, I've never fallen off of my stationary bike, as far as you guys know, all right? Probably, probably wouldn't tell you if I did. But, and I know I'm going to sound like a total cynic here, if I did fall off the exercise bike, the stationary bike that is not moving, if I happened to fall off of it, I don't think anybody would really be there to catch me, right? Like, and I know, that's totally cynical and I shouldn't say it out loud, but I just think it's reality. And you know why I think that? Because it's not real community. Like, I'm alone in my house when I'm on this bike. I am isolated. I have avoided the gym because I honestly don't want that kind of exercise community. I want to be just me and the bike. I want it to be just me, and so that's how it is. If I fall off the bike, I'm falling alone, probably going to be injured, and uh, you'll never know about it because I'll never tell anyone that that happened. But that's the reality. And, and why is that? Because it is community in name only. There's nobody there. Nobody sees me. I'm not known. Praise God. It's just me on this bike. And what's so interesting about that is we're, we're all surrounded by that kind of community all the time, aren't we? Like, I have that, you have that, and it's like, it's not all bad. Like, some of that stuff is fun, right? Like, I like to see the leaderboard. I like to you know, do the, like, get the accomplishments and the badges and the silly stuff like that. In our day and age, community, though, the idea of it, the buzzword of it, um, is really, really popular. Everybody wants to be a part of community, and everything is community. Whether you are a Christian or not, you probably see this, and not only that, but you're probably drawn to it, right? We're drawn to it. We, we no longer uh, have coffee shops that just sell us coffee, what are they selling us? Selling us community, right? Like, come in and grab a cup of coffee with these strangers, you'll be best friends in no time. We're, we're attracted and we're drawn to neighborhoods that promote parks and communal spaces and walkability. Like the days of Mario Brothers, where I would just sit in a room with one other human being and we would play two players, like those days are gone because now there are gaming communities. I could leave after this and I could play Minecraft with people from all over the world. I won't do that because I'm an adult, but I digress. Uh, this is what we're surrounded by constantly. Local craft beer that uh, is, is all about community and, uh, and everything else. It's just like we are, we are being bombarded with this because we as human beings are instinctively drawn to community. And the reason for that can actually be found in the opening pages of Scripture. So let me give you a little bit of background before we jump back into John. And uh, so think back, if you're in a Bible reading plan, think back to like January 1st, 2nd, okay? The opening chapters of Scripture where we have the creation story. Genesis 1 and 2, what we see is God creates the heavens and the earth. He then fills the heavens and the earth with creation and the pinnacle of that creation is mankind. And at the center of all of it is what? It's a garden. And in this garden, what we see is that the dwelling place of God is with man, right? And so there's, there's community that exists vertically between man and God. But it doesn't stop there. 
God also, for the very first time, he says something is not good. It is what? That man should not be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And so God creates woman, and we have community that's also not just vertical, but also horizontal. And what we see in the opening pages of Scripture is this thing called shalom, which is just a big Bible word that means everything was the way that it should be. There was, everything was right. It was the way that God intended for things to be. And that's why we see God repeatedly say, as he creates things, this is good, this is good. At the end of creation, he takes a step back and he takes it all in. He says what? This is very good. There's thriving and there's goodness and there's flourishing. And at the center of it all is community. And we come to the end of Genesis 2. We learn a little bit more that God has put man in this garden. He's put him in charge of everything, able to eat from any tree in the whole place except for one tree. God says, don't eat the fruit of this tree because if you do, you will surely die, right? So think Lion King, like everything the light touches is your kingdom. And then Adam's like, what about that shadowy place? And God's like, I just told you everything the light touches. That's a lot of stuff. Like, and you're pointing to the one place where there's hyenas and tons of bad stuff. Like, just don't go there. And, um, and so man and woman are like, yeah, we really want that one thing that's really off limits. And what we see is that God has actually given them a million yeses, one single no. Don't do that thing. You'll die if you do. And then in chapter 3, the serpent shows up. This is the enemy of God's people. And he's seductive and he's crafty. And he starts to just breathe out lie after lie after lie. Things like, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Maybe God's just holding out on you. Maybe, maybe God knows or maybe God is afraid that if you eat that fruit, you'll realize that you really don't need him at all. Maybe what God's afraid of is that you'll, you'll realize you don't need him, and then you can just have all of his stuff. You can have the, the kingdom without the king, as it were. You can have all of his stuff, but without the restrictive rules. You can do what you want. You can be your own God, and that sounds really great, doesn't it? And this is how the story goes. And so they take and they eat the fruit, and things start to unravel, right? The lie was just that. It was a lie. They don't get what they thought they were going to get. They don't get what they wanted. But what we see is suddenly shalom goes sideways. Everything was as it should have been, no more. That goes out the window. Creation starts to jump the tracks. And for the very first time, here's what we see. Separation and isolation come into the picture for the very first time. Community goes out the window. The relationship between man and God is broken as heaven and earth are torn apart. Man is driven out of the garden. The dwelling place of God is no longer with man. There was a time that God would talk with man and walk with man through this garden no more. And not only that, but the relationship between human beings is broken as instantly man and woman are blame shifting. And this starts this sort of sin spiral that goes, I mean, just the very next chapter, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. And so it's heartbreaking, but what we're seeing is we're seeing community and shalom come apart at the seams. And so from where we sit, can we just take a step back and, and admit it really isn't a surprise that we have this longing, that we have it in this room, that outside of this room, human beings just have this longing 
for community. It's like imprinted into our DNA because we had it. We had it. It was right there. We were experiencing it, and we lost it. We were created for community, and there's a part of every single person that we, we know that. We feel the draw, and yet we feel its absence as well. And at the very same time as we feel that longing, we also continue to hear the same lies ringing out through the ages again and again, these lies that maybe we can have the kingdom without the king. Hey, maybe what was lost at the fall, maybe the good stuff that we liked, maybe we can get that back through human effort and endeavor. We just don't need God, but maybe we can get it back. And those, those sorts of narratives have always been true of us. Like we've always had that kind of undercurrent um, throughout history. But man, now more than ever, now more than ever, we live inside of a culture that would seek to affirm the lie that, yes, God's holding out on us, all while celebrating the fall as sort of this evidence of our liberation from a God who, according to the enemy, is controlling and tyrannical. And so we repeat this part of our history over and over ad nauseum to the applause of a culture in favor of expressive individualism. So here's, what, here's what I mean. Recently, I read this quote uh, from an author who is not a follower of Jesus, um, but she's reflecting on uh, the, the human state and this creation story. Here's what she says. Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Here's her advice. Own your wanting. Eat the apple. Let it burn. Like, let that sink in. That's the ethos of, of the world that we live in. And this is not just some book. This is like a New York Times bestseller. And, and so, listen, on one hand, the fact that we long for community is no shock, right? Like, we had it and we lost it. But on the other hand, separated from the way of Jesus, owning our wanting, as she says, letting it all burn, a community on these terms, community on our own terms, where we just go like, hey, we really want community, so let's do Taco Tuesday, and we'll just do our best to pull it off, and like, let's see, like, it's not what we hoped for it to be. It's not scratching the itch. It's not doing what we were promised. We're in a day and age where we are more connected than we've ever been, but at the same time, we're more lonely than we've ever been. We're more isolated. We're more anxious. We're more depressed. We're more unknown than we have ever been. We, we have, like, our favorite restaurants and places of business that have murals on the wall that tell us that relationships abound, and yet deep within, we know that's just not true. We're just not there. So it's not surprising to me that the desire for community would be so popular in this moment, but we have to admit that there is a massive gap between our value for community and the actual experience of meaningful community, especially community that pushes us towards Christian formation. The bottom line is this. We have been let down 
by the world's version of community. And there's nobody there to catch us. So it's into this moment that we turn our attention to John chapter 17. And John 17 is this amazing window into the heart of Jesus. It's, it's showing us some of the things that were most important to him into his relationship with the Father. John 17 is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And this was, this was the closer at the end of the Last Supper. This was likely the very last time that the disciples heard Jesus' voice for an extended period of time before his death. And this, this was what was most on Jesus' heart as he entered into suffering. In fact, these were some of the burdens that actually drove Jesus towards his suffering. And so if you look at John 17, he opens up and he prays prayers glorifying God. He prays for the 12 disciples, those, those who are there in the room with him. But th- and this is crazy. That he ends this prayer by praying for the church that would outlive the time of the disciples. And so here's what that means. He's praying for you and for me. And I don't know how that hits you, but when I hear that, when I hear that Jesus prays, hey, I I don't ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, when I realize like, wait, oh, he's praying for me, he's praying for you, he's praying for us, like I'm locked in now. Like I wanna know, what is Jesus praying? How is Jesus praying for me and for us Because I want to pray those prayers too. Like I want to be on board with what he is praying for us. So with that in mind, from that perspective, uh, let me read again this, this prayer. Jesus prays for us this way. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. It's amazing. So, for the rest of our time, I want to I just dig into that, that part of the prayer, what Jesus is praying for us. And there are, there are three things that I want to notice about this prayer. First thing is this. Jesus prays for our oneness as our greatest witness to the world. Jesus prays for our oneness as our greatest witness to the world. He prays three times for our unity and our oneness. And notice, this is not ambiguous unity. This isn't unity for unity's sake. Jesus is saying, hey, real people with real names, with real stories, right? Good, bad, ugly, all of it, the real deal. And I want to just say, it's easy to be unified and connected to people um, out of sentiment, right? Like, it's easy to just go like, oh, we, on the surface, we like some of the same things, and so we're bros, right? Like, that's easy to say, but it's also really hollow. What's hard is to be united to people in reality. It's easy to be united to people one day a week in a big room like this where we just go like, these are my brothers and sisters, and that's it, right? Like, that's all it is. What's hard is being united to a smaller group of people in a living room in the middle of the week. And that's what Jesus is praying for, like boots on the ground, down in the trenches, real unity. 
And even, like, I, I feel like some of the objections, like, start to come up in me and maybe in you, and you're like, man, well, what about this? What about this? Like, I've experienced community, and it's not so great. Like, you're cracking it up to be. Like, there are problems with it. Like, there, there are people that are in my group that are obnoxious or they're hard to love. And I would just say, good. That's, that's good. <laughs> I heard one pastor say that you actually haven't experienced real community until there's somebody in your group that you don't like. That's real community. And, um, and if you don't believe me, just think about Jesus' disciples, right? Like, Jesus had a crazy group, like a weird group of disciples. Like, the message that was being sent was definitely not like, hey, follow Jesus and we'll all just be the same. Like, that was not it at all. The message was like, Jesus saves all kinds of people. Weird people, normal people, like which one are you? I don't know. Um, but he saves all kinds of people, right? So you think about Matthew, who's a tax collector, who's a, a Jewish man, but he was collecting taxes from the Jewish people and giving them to their Roman oppressors, right? Not a popular guy, Matthew. But then he's one of Jesus' disciples, and another one of Jesus' disciples is this guy named uh, Simon the Zealot, um, which, you know, he, he has the zealot in his name, which is his way of saying, like, this is pretty much the main thing I want you to know about me. And so what is a zealot? Well, like, one of the things we know about zealots from history is that they were, they were radical Jews who hated the Roman government, hated their oppressors, and the zealots would actually sometimes infiltrate, sneak into crowds of people, and actually just execute uh, Roman officials and guards. And so you have these two guys who couldn't be more different, right? The, the far-right conspiracy theorist and the Bernie bro, the guys that like would not have seen eye-to-eye politically or their, with their ideology or any of that, right? And yet, and some of you are like, that sounds like my community group. Jesus is like, that is my community group. Those guys were in my community group. And you think there were some awkward silences and some, some like heated, tense conversations. Like that happened. That went down. That's happening in the midst of some of our groups. And yet that's okay because the main thing is not that we're all alike or that we all agree on everything because Jesus saves all kinds of people. People with weird backgrounds, people who are different from each other, people who actually have zero things in common except for this one thing, and that's Jesus. That's why Matthew could look at Simon and say, we couldn't be more different at all. But you know what? I call this man my brother, and I've got his back to the very end, not because we like each other, but because of the blood of Jesus. And that's the kind of oneness that Jesus is after, not a hollow oneness, but a true oneness around Jesus. And he says that will be our greatest witness to the world. Second thing that, that we see here is that Jesus wants our oneness to flow from his oneness with the Father in our union to him. I'll say that again. Jesus wants our oneness to flow from his oneness with the Father and our union to him. Verse 22 says, they may be one even as we are one. It says later, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And in verse 21, he says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Here's the thing that Jesus wants for us. He's not just, he's not just praying that we would have a relationship with him, 
but he's praying that we would actually know and enjoy the Father and the Spirit in the same way that he does. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. There's a painting that we'll put up on the screen that I think captures some of this pretty well um, because I'm pretty intellectual and I like paintings. Just kidding. This was, I, I saw this for the first time this week and thought it was cool. Um, now, there are some artistic liberties that were taken with this picture. So if you have a, a problem with it, just know that the guy who painted it um, painted it in like the 1400s. So he's probably dead. Um, but this was painted by, uh, this was painted by uh, a Russian Catholic man, and uh, this, is, this is called the Holy Trinity. And uh, the essence of what he's trying to show here is the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he's showing us their, their oneness and their distinction, and there's, there's a lot uh, that could be said about this, but I think one of the most beautiful things about this painting is that we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit existing together in perfect and holy unity. Right? They're, they're facing towards each other, but what's also really cool about it is they're sitting around a four-sided table, and there's three of them, and there's one side that is open to us. And that's because we are not meant to only look in and witness the holiness and the goodness of the triune God, but we are invited, friends, to enter into relationship and participation with him in the world. This is one of the reasons why we have such intense longing for community. God has always existed like this, in perfect community, and we have been created in his image. God didn't create us because he was lonely. No, God has never known loneliness, right? So Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. The idea is that we would be committed to learning and enjoying this kind of unity together out of an overflow of our unity and relationship to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is also in relationship with the person who's right across the room from us in the same way. So here's what Jesus is getting at. The relationship with one another is inescapable if we have relationship with God. Relationship with one another is inescapable if we have relationship with God. Christian community is about formation. This is all about formation because it's about practicing the presence of the living God who has invited you and me and the person across from you in the living room. He's invited us into a relationship with himself individually, but also collectively as we share a common father, a common older brother, and we share the common, the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what this means is that I don't just call you brother or sister because I forgot your name. We don't just call God our father for funsies. We don't call Jesus our older brother because it rhymes. We use that language because the bloodline of Calvary binds us together as family. And so community is this witness to the world from the overflow of our unity with God. And so here's what we notice about this prayer. If Jesus prays for our oneness, that it would be our greatest witness to the world. He prays that our oneness would flow from his oneness with the Father and our union to him. And then third and finally, 
we see here that our unity is evidence of God's love for us. It's evidence of God's love for us. You've probably heard it said that our love is a witness to the world of God. It's apologetic. But Jesus prays here that our unity would also be a witness to the world that God has truly loved us. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So occasionally I'll meet people who are new to our church and they'll, they'll come up to me and they'll say like, man, Frontline is so great. I love Frontline. We love it so much. This is the best church we've ever been at. And I, I probably should just learn how to receive a compliment because normally I want to be like, hey, Let's calm down uh, for one. Like, just give it some time. Just give it some time. Like, you, I, it sounds like you probably haven't read our Google reviews because there are quite a few people who disagree. Um, and I love our church. That's, that's the thing. I love our church. I just, I just want people to go into it with, with open eyes, manage your expectations. Here's the truth, though. Right? Like, I know us. I know me. Like, you know you. And, and here's the truth. Like, we're... We're hypocritical, and we say one thing and we do another. We're imperfect. We seem to, to fall and stumble more than we walk. We are always repenting for the same old sins, aren't we? We are a hot mess. We are a hot mess. And yet, this is, this is my experience in community. Um, every time that I have seen somebody just get real, you know what I mean? Like, like, Drop the act, stop performing, like go ahead and let yourself do the ugly cry. Just let it happen, you know, and just get real. Like show us what a hot mess you really are. And I've been here too. Like there are two things that I feel like I always experience. One, when you get real and show people, hey, this is the real me, busted and broken, like one thing that feels true all the time is that the expectation for that person is that when people see who I really am, when people see just how messy I really am, they're going to run. They will want nothing to do with me. They will move away from me. And at the very same time, it feels like this is also true. That when when my brothers and sisters in community see me, not as I want them to see me, not the, the nice like Instagram filter, like polished version of me, but the real me that's broken, when they see me, the inclination is for them to move towards me, not away from me. It's not what I expected. And we, we feel that, right? We feel that towards one another. Like our inclination, people of God, is to how can we bear one another's burdens? How can we serve? How can we, how can we pray? How can I help you no matter the cost? And I don't know what your experience is in community. Like maybe you've experienced something like that. But even the best that we've experienced, here's what's really encouraging today, is that it is a, it is a faint picture that's pointing us to a much better reality. This is the truth, that God does not love a version of you where you've gotten your act together. God loves the real you. He loves you as you are. 
He loves the broken you. He loves the you that's a little bit messy. He loves the, the version of you that is hiding in shame. The version of you that's too broken to do it on your own. The version of you that's grasping for community on your own terms only to get let down again. No one there to catch you. God loves the real version of you. And when, when we love one another in spite of our brokenness, what we're doing is we're, we're pointing to the love that God has for us. Our unity is pointing to the love that God has for us. Romans 5.8 says God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, when we were at our worst, when it was ugly, when it was too much to look at, at that point, that's when Jesus in the incarnation moved towards us. When we were at our worst, Christ died for us. On the cross, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who had existed for eternity past in perfect and holy and unbroken community for the first time as our sin was placed on him, he experienced loneliness and isolation and separation as the Father turned away that we might be reconciled back to him and to one another. Our unity is evidence of God's love for us. So in closing, like, what about like practical next steps. What do we do now? I know, I know like some of you are like, okay, I'm sold. I need community. But like surely the only thing that we have is not just going to be community groups. Like what else is there? No, sorry. It's just community groups. Um, I think elephant in the room, like there are some of us who step into this conversation and we're like, man, I want to hear something new. Like, I feel like I need something different because some of us have been a part of community that wasn't great or it was just weird and we're like, ah, it's not my thing. I don't want to do that anymore. Um, some of you, maybe you've actually been hurt. And, I, and so I want to say a couple of things in closing. One, if you've experienced wounding in community, if you um, have been a part of community and somehow you were hurt in the process, uh, I don't have a quick fix for you. But let me just say, I really am sorry. Um, and, and as a church, man, we want to be here for you. And so feel free to reach out. Our pastors, our deacons, our leadership team would love to, to help you process those things or do whatever we can to help you move towards healing. But can I just invite you not to punt Jesus' invitation into community because of someone who sinned against you. Hey, Jesus is still trustworthy. Jesus is still good. He is kind and he is gentle and you can trust him. And so through the pain, hey, we want to deal with that. That's real. But also like trust Jesus, follow Jesus, step into the places that Jesus is inviting you into. He can be trusted. So step in, try again. Now, if you're here and you would just say like, I tried community, didn't really take, right? Not a great excuse. Um, and I want to invite you, hey, please don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't pretend like you have some insight that nobody else has had in the last 2,000 years. Don't think that you can just make your own path 
apart from the way of Jesus and do this on your own. A discipleship that is solo, that is just like me and Jesus, we got this, that mentality is entirely foreign to the teaching and the understanding of the New Testament. Entirely foreign. And so, hey, if, if you're somebody that would say, like, ah, you know, I, I didn't quite click with some people or it didn't meet my expectations or this or that, I want to just offer this up to you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about our wish dream of community, right? Like we all have this where we think about community group and we want to show up and we want it to be just like this and everybody's great and everybody's nice and everybody treats each other this way and it just looks like this. And we have this, this image in our mind, this wish dream of perfect community. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, hey, you know what that's doing? Your wish dream of community is crushing any real community that's, that's there right? It's absolutely killing true community. And here's what I want to say. Jesus is not inviting you into an ideal. He's not inviting you into a wish dream of community. He's inviting you into the real thing. And there are going to be times that that's messy and that's hard. But I just want to say, keep showing up. Keep participating. If you're not in a group, I want to invite you to find a group. Without the ongoing practice of Christian community, we cannot step into Jesus' high priestly prayer. We cannot obey what Jesus is calling us to. And I know that there are still lingering objections. What about this? What about this? Hey, can I also remind you that community is a discipline? That means there are a lot of times that you just won't want to go. Like that, it's going to get to that night of the week, and you're going to think of a thousand other things that sound better than that. And you're going to be like, man, I don't want to do this. All kinds of excuses are going to come up. I don't really want to deal with that person. You know what? That person probably doesn't really want to deal with you either. But just jump in. Step into it. A reminder uh, as we close is this. Just know that community, it's beneficial, right? forms us, it will grow you, but at the end of the day, community is not about you. Here's what it's about. And I'll, and I'll just say, every community group that you've ever been a part of or that you ever will be a part of, the good, the bad, the uncomfortable, the super weird, all of it, it's meant to serve as a signpost that points us to a way better community, right? The good ones, just know, like, those good ones are going to to, uh, they're going to pale in comparison to what's coming. The bad ones, let that stir up your longing. The bad experiences that you've had to know, like, man, there is something being prepared. There's something coming that is so good. Here's what we can know. Because Jesus did not stay in the grave, the day is coming when the redemptive work of God will culminate as people from every tribe and tongue and every nation, every race will gather to worship, feast, and ultimately experience the shalom of God once again as he makes his dwelling place with man. That's coming. So engage in community, not because it's easy or because it's fun, because what it's preparing us for and what it's pointing us to is so, so good. And to that end, I just want to close with this passage from Revelation. Chapter 21, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. and He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 